Welcome to the Speak Like a Leader podcast with John Bates. Welcome to the show. With me today is someone that I am super excited to have this conversation with. He's someone that I met a little while ago. We've had the chance to hang out in person, actually, strangely enough, and uh, talk quite a bit. And he's someone that I, I really respect his experience. I appreciate his perspective. And uh, I think he's got a lot of great things to share with us, many of them from kind of the extreme edges of human experience that I think will make a really big difference for all of us. So I'm really happy to have Tracy Reinhold, who is the chief security officer for Everbridge. And he comes to the private sector after a long career in the public sector. He, uh, was the executive assistant director of the national security branch of the FBI. I may have gotten that wrong. He'll correct me if I did. Uh, then he worked as a, a security officer for Walmart, then a chief security officer for Fannie Mae. And now he's at Everbridge. And uh, I'm just really excited to have you here, Tracy. Thank you very, very much for making the time to join us. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. So, um, and I was actually the associate executive assistant director uh, okay. of, of the national security branch of the FBI. But you know, potato, potato. I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, to anybody outside the organization, um, there's not a lot of difference in titles inside. So I get that, and I appreciate that. Um, but but thanks for having me, and it's great to see you again. Um, I, I, I enjoyed our time together a couple of weeks ago and, and I look forward to continued interactions, uh, into the future. So, um, you're, you're right. I did have a long career in the public service, uh, side of the house. Uh, I started as a Marine. Yes. Uh, I was going to say that's okay. That's all right. Yep. 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 So, um, and, uh, a transition to the FBI, uh, which was a fantastic organization. Um, and, uh, I guess fortunately for me or unfortunately for the organization, I was given a lot of opportunities that I probably shouldn't have gotten. Um, <laughs> but I tried very hard to keep the, the ethos of the organization in mind as I progressed in my career uh, and always trying to bring those along with me who had yeah. actually enabled my success. Because the one thing that you learn in the FBI is that you don't do anything by yourself. Right. So <clears throat> quick example, just sort of anecdotally, if you're going to go and arrest a high risk subject as a street agent, there's no one on one. It's five to one because yeah. there's no do overs. There's no second choice chances. So what you yeah. really want to do is to think about the team that got you to where you are mm -hmm. um, and that don't lose sight of the fact that it's not about you. It's about the mission. Yeah. Um, and that, that translates over to Everbridge too. And, and let me just tell you real quickly why I landed at Everbridge as opposed to another public or private sector company. When I left public service, the thing that I missed the most was the sense of mission. Mm. Um, that what we were doing was more important than the individual. Yeah. So, you know, and I did, I, I did corporate investigations for Walmart. Um, I was the chief security officer at Fannie Mae, which was closer. Um, but at Fannie Mae, I was a customer of this company called Everbridge. And Everbridge focuses on keeping people safe and keeping businesses running. 
So that resonated with me. When you think about the alerting for wildfires in California. I used to get those. Absolutely, right? I got those, yep. Yeah, or tsunamis in India, right? So that's Uh what our company does, provides the technology that protects people. So to me, that really resonated, and I could get behind that type of a mission, um, incredibly powerful way of doing business, Yeah, because- don't get me wrong. I mean, Everbridge is in, in business to make money as well. Sure. Well, that's, well, you know, the funny thing about sustainability, Tracy, is you got to sustain it. That's right. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. So, so really happy to be here. It's a great organization. Um, we do a lot of work in the private sector, but we also do entire countries for public warning uh-huh. so that we keep citizens safe around the globe. So to me, that was important. And yeah. that meant that the ethos of our company is that the mission matters. Yes. And that is so important. And that if we all row together, we get there faster and we protect more people more effectively and efficiently. Yeah. So I, so a couple things. One is I got to meet with and really go deep with a number of people on your executive team. And I was, I came away very impressed with how connected everyone I talk to is to that mission. They, you know, they've got a background that would predispose them to care about that, to be good at that. And I was very impressed with that. And the other thing that I'll say, and, uh, and I, I might be poking you a little bit in the ribs here, but I, I think I hear the Marine underneath all of that. You know, I grew up with, uh, with the great Santini and I love him dearly. And even though I resisted him, until I was probably 40, uh, all those lessons that he taught me from the Marine Corps that he had just fully embodied, you know, into himself. I think I hear a lot of that underneath yeah, your it's, subsequent. It's, it's hard to get rid of that. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, you think about it. I mean, I went in the Marine Corps in 1979, so a yeah. lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, but there are certain things that you lead in there that you learn in there that follow you. And and to me, yeah. probably the best foundation for leadership is what you learn in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of folks out there that that weren't in the Marine Corps, and I get that. I've just benefited immensely from learning what to do and what not to do by watching those in leadership roles, both in the FBI and in the Marine Corps, Mm -hmm. um, as well as in the private sector. Um, So so those types of skills, you know, we we always talk about leadership as as a skill that you can learn. That may be true, uh, but Mm -hmm. I think part of that is innate to your being. You either know how to lead and learning new skills adds to that foundation or you don't. And, and one of the classic things is the difference between um, a manager and a leader, right? Mm-hmm. So huge difference. Um, you can be a fantastic manager of a product line, for example. You can make sure that all of the, the parts and components are in place. But as soon as you start to add people into the mix, that brings in another skill, and that is the ability to inspire, motivate, direct uh, individuals in a way that empowers them and doesn't diminish their contributions. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I used to tell young executives in the bureau is um, that I would say 
do not get to where you're going on the backs of others. Mm. In other words, don't don't use the people that you're supposed to be leading. Empower them. Um, I'm a big believer in hiring people that are way smarter than I am, which yeah. fortunately for me is not very <laughs> difficult. But There's still plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's that. You know, I had a I had a boss in, in the FBI who who said that A team leaders hire A team subordinates. B team leaders hire C team subordinates because they're afraid of being overshadowed. Yes, yes, um, yes. And, and I got and, the same advice when, when they handed us our first investment check at, at Big Words. Right, right. And that, but it's so true, right? Yeah. It's not about you. It's not about you personally. Um, and, and as I transitioned into the private sector, one of the things that I found very rare was somebody who would think corporately as opposed to thinking about their own personal advancement. Yeah. So totally different avenues and the corporate, the person that takes the corporate values in hand, embraces the culture and exhibits leadership skills will inevitably succeed Yeah, because he or she has built a team of people that they have empowered uh, to allow them to be successful. And I think that's just so strong. And you know, Tracy, I think that it's fair to say that it's counterintuitive at first for human beings, right? Because look at how many people have made a career like Zig Ziglar, just basically telling people over and over in different ways how much they'll succeed if they can just make it about the people they're leading instead of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's uh, it's counterintuitive and yet... That really is true. What you just said, you know, it's the leaders that make it about their team and that empower their team and that serve their team. I think there's something very powerful about servant leadership. And those are the people that are going to succeed. And, and, you know, I, I would love to get your take on this because one of the things we're talking right now um, in the midst of Russia's aggression in Ukraine and we're seeing two very different ways of war fighting, which I think are point to two very different styles of leadership that can be a really powerful lesson for anybody that's in a leadership position, whether, you know, far, far, far from any kind of war. Right. And, and I'll say my thoughts and then I'd love to have you, you know, deepen them for us. But as I, you know, I, I also read the, the book that was basically the United States debrief of World War I, right? It's called, I think it's called Infantry in Combat or Infantry in Battle or something like that. And I, I read the whole thing. And fundamentally, one of the biggest takeaways, there were a few. One is keep it simple, right? The more complicated the communication in battle conditions the more likely it is to be misinterpreted, right? Just keep it simple, be really, really clear, make sure that you can't be misunderstood. You know, the other thing is the more that commanders e empowered their subordinates with and gave them, you know, the mission focus commanders intent versus just go here, do that the more successful they were. So the more that people understood the reasons behind the things they were doing versus just 
take that hill, right? And in this battle between Russia and Ukraine, I think Ukraine has benefited from a lot of training from NATO countries, which is mission focused and commanders intent focused and enables people out to the edges. Whereas Russia still has a very much commanding control. I'm the commander. I know what we're doing. You just follow my orders. Shut up, sit down, go, go over there. And I'll tell you what to do when you get there instead of here's the objective. Now that it seems to me like the, commander's intent empowering people out to the edge works better will you elaborate <laughs> so, so i will so so let's talk a little bit about what's happened since 1917 and today yeah, okay yeah. Uh-huh. So, so i agree um i think commander's intent is incredibly important but i also think risk tolerance and risk appetite are important so okay. a leader um, like the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, um, actually has a fairly high risk tolerance, right? Because he can't be all places at all times. So he has to do that. But what he's done very, I think, um, intelligently has harnessed public opinion um, and done it in a way that enables countries and organizations to support his efforts and feel good about doing it. So, you know, when you look at the, the, the military might of Russia versus the military might of Ukraine, it's very different and it's a very unequal scale. But yeah. what he's been able to do is to garner world support by being open and transparent in a way that enables the Ukraine to, to actually push back against Russia, which is a far superior military power. And they've done this because of harnessing that collaboration. Remember, we talked earlier about you don't do anything by yourself. This is a classic example of that, yeah. where a country the size of Ukraine has harnessed a community to help them thwart an, an aggressor. Yeah, They could not have done that by themselves. Mm-mm. So you take that example and you translate it into the private sector or into public sector. It, it just reinforces what we're talking about. It, it takes an entire community to support this type of an effort. And Zelensky's been very, very smart and very savvy about the way he presents himself and the way that he presents Ukraine. Um, you know, he, he will switch between Ukrainian and English during interviews, which is clever. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he dresses also, you know, puts together the idea that, look, we're a country at war. Yeah. I don't have time to dress up for people. Right. We're in crisis. And, and yep. that reinforces the, the, the urgency of the mission. So yeah. everything that he does, he does with an eye of how do I protect my country and how do I survive as an organization? Yeah. And what's happened is he has captured the imagination of the globe yeah. by sort of the David versus Goliath approach. Yeah. Right. And But he's done it in a way that is very human. Mm-hmm. He, he he's he hasn't lost his humanity. Yeah. Um and he he has done a great job uh of showcasing other people in Ukraine who have done phenomenal work. Um yeah. so so I think you're right. Commander's intent is incredibly important. Empowering subordinates is incredibly important. And and also the one thing I think that is also important is don't be the 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 one answer leader. Right. In other words, 
are you a single no? If if somebody says no, is the game over? Yeah. Right? Are, do you know everything? If if you go in with that notion, you will fail. Yeah. So by empowering your subordinates, you actually get great ideas. And, and I'll give you a, a real quick example, not on Ukraine, but when I was in the FBI, one of my jobs was to lead the intelligence division yeah. um, for the FBI during a, a period of radical transformation from the organization from being reactive to proactive. Mm. We had an incredible array of intelligence analysts that did phenomenal work that were just way, way smarter than I'm ever going to be. Um, and, and what I would do is when we had something on maybe a terrorist organization or a cyber attack, I would bring a young analyst uh, into the director of the FBI's office to conduct the briefing. And this is a person that would not normally have access to the director of the FBI or the attorney general of the United States. Uh-huh. So they would go in. I would obviously be there because I, I had to in case it went horribly wrong and it was my fault. <laughs> uh-huh. Really well. It was their victory. Yeah. Um, but what ended up resulting from that is that analyst would go back to his or her team and they would live off of that for six months. Yeah. It would empower them because the access and their ability to direct or to influence a senior leader in government yeah. um, was overwhelmingly positive. So, so one of the things that you want to be careful not to do is to take credit for other people's work. But accept Wait, that, the that, That's it, another counterintuitive, really huge. big deal. Yeah. The other part of that is making sure that when your teams do something incredibly well, that they're recognized. Yes. And when they do something incredibly poorly, you face the brunt as the leader up the line. You don't pass the buck to the individuals. You're the responsible individual, even though... so. When I was in the private sector, we had a, a, a young person on one of my crisis teams that really messed up. I mean, big time. Right? Uh-huh. And, and so our CEO <laughs> at the time called me and he said, Tracy, I, I need to know who's responsible for this. And I said, well, I am. And he said, no, no, no. I need to know the individual. I said, no, I've already taken care of that. If you need to address somebody, address me. It's my team. It's my responsibility. If adverse action has to be taken, take it against me, not against them, because you don't want to be that one mistake leader. You, know, you make yeah. one mistake and you're done forever. Right. So part of that is empowering the team, but part of it is also, and probably not the right word, but prote- protecting the team. Yeah. Um, giving them that air cover that they need so yeah. that they can take risks and they can grow. Because if they don't get that protection, they won't take those risks for fear that failure means termination. Right. So I think those are the types of things that make good leaders, Mm. um, as opposed to those that are myopically focused on, I want to be, you know, the next level, or I want three promotions down the road. I can't make any mistakes. Um, I will feed my team to the machine so that I survive. And we see that all the time. Well, and Tracy, I'd really like people listening to put a pin in this and to start looking at everybody and anybody that they are supporting as a leader or that they're voting for, which is supporting as a leader mm-hmm. or that they're thinking about, you know, supporting in a position at work or in their community, like everywhere, because if 
the people that they're thinking about supporting are not this way, I think it's a mistake to support them. And I think we've seen that in a lot of different places in the political arena where there are people who, number one, take credit for things that their team did and then pass the blame to their team for things they did and are totally unwilling to take responsibility. I mean, I, I, I believe it was, and I'm, I'm going to feel really dumb if I get this wrong, but I think it was Eisenhower who had the speech written where he took responsibility for the failure of D-Day if it happened. He was already ready to go to say, look, these men put their lives on the line. It's my fault. I'm sorry, you know, versus a lot of the political leaders today who are like, never will never take responsibility for anything they do. And clearly they did it and they won't take responsibility. And if that, if you've got people like that as leaders in your organization, you either need to retrain them or root them out, I think. You know, and and it's all organizations politically. You're right. You're you know, absolutely right. Yeah. So, so that's another thing that drew me to Everbridge is that, and I tell this. So I I unfortunately travel all over the world for the company. <laughs> um, sorry, company. Um, <laughs> but but um, one of the things that I do is I meet with our teams, whether it's in Australia or Singapore or India, um, and I sit down. and the And the idea is that the organization is actually relatively flat. Mm. Um, so anybody will help anybody because it's not about the individual leader. It's about the success of the mission. Yeah. And I think a lot of that resonates with our employees. We've had exponential growth over the last couple of years. And, and part of what, what we, what we hear from our employees and, and our peers is that we like working here because it's a team mentality. Yeah. And and to me that's so important. It, it, if you have to remind everybody that you're the boss, <laughs> then you've probably already failed. Yeah. Right? You, you yeah. should never have to say, well, I we're going to do this because I'm the boss. Um that will absolutely disenfranchise the team in a heartbeat. Um and will come back to bite you at the end. Yeah. Um don't get me wrong, there are times when you, you know decisions have to be made and somebody has to take the leadership role. I get that. Yeah. Um, but anytime that's possible, empower those that know. So, so um, we have some really smart people that are not in a position to um, lead the organization, but they have immense skill sets. So leveraging those, and if you have to go to the board, for example, and you have a junior employee on your team that has come up with just a mind-blowingly good idea, um, Think about whether or not you can convince the C-suite to bring that individual to the board. It's so great. Yeah. Right? I mean, it doesn't have to be that they have to, because first of all, they're going to be wickedly nervous when they get into the board. <laughs> but, uh -huh. but just being able to point to them on a back bench and say, you know, this is Sally or this is John and this was their idea. And I, I just want to flesh this out. But I wanted yeah. to make sure that the board knows that these are the types of leaders that we're developing in our company. Yeah. Um, so, so two wins. So there, good. Right. Yeah. So, so obviously the, the, the board will listen and then, but the individual who came up with the idea has been given access to something that normally they wouldn't have. Yes. Right. And it's just, it's the right thing to do. Um, and it's not that complicated. It really isn't because well, it's just people. 
And, you know, Tracy, the other thing that, that really pops for me about that is as a leader, you want your people, I think, to bring you their absolute best ideas. But if you start taking credit for the ideas they're all bringing you, you're going to cut that flow down, I think. That's right. Whereas if you, if you do this, what you're suggesting and you give them credit and you get them the recognition and, you know, have them in the room when you're presenting their ideas so they can see that you are giving them credit. That's right. Oh my gosh. Now people want to run to you with their best ideas, right? Versus having second thoughts about whether they should try to go around you or whether right. it's worth telling you, you know, or hide. hide. So, so, yeah. so, so quick, uh, a quick example of that. So that's part of it. The other part is being approachable. And, uh -huh. and, and having your team trust you in a leadership role. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. When I was a young violent crime supervisor in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. um, great town, great work, no commute. It was awesome. <laughs> um, uh -huh. But we, we used to have bank robbery duty on the weekends. So uh -huh. an agent would get that and then they would have to respond if there was an incident over the weekend. And it was late on a Friday night and I got a call from one of my agents um, and she was mortified because she forgot she had the duty and she had been drinking. So obviously firearms and alcohol, not a real good combination. <laughs> no, no, no. But the fact that she called me to say, Hey boss, I think I, 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 I can't, I'm, I've yeah. really screwed up. Yes. And my response was, Hey, you know what? I appreciate it. We will, we'll, we'll send somebody else. Don't worry about it. These things happen. Um, it's okay. Um, oh, you know, gosh. you messed up, but, but think about had I developed a culture where that person didn't feel comfortable telling me and responded and something yes. bad had happened. Oh, man. So, so part of that is empowering the team, but also part of it is, is being human and understanding mm -hmm. that sometimes people make mistakes and it's okay. Yeah. Right? You know, we can fix most things. Yeah. You know, the, the difference between, in, in, for me anyway, between the public sector and the private sector is the definition of a crisis. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So for me, a crisis is if somebody is bleeding. Right. You know, you'll go to the private sector and they'll say, oh my God, our quarterly numbers are down. We're in crisis. It's a challenge. And yeah. it's something that collectively the team will, will address. But calling that a crisis is different. Yeah. So, you know, as obviously as the chief security officer, I interface with a lot of chief security officers around the world. And most of them are former military, former, uh, former government officials. Um, and there are some that have come up straight through the corporate world, but they all have kind of that same mentality. Yeah. Is let's, let's address the challenge and let's fix it and let's be creative in our solutions. Yeah. Um, as opposed to you don't want your chief security officer to be the, the guy that freaks out when something <laughs> goes wrong, that doesn't right. really instill a lot of confidence, right? Right. Well, you remind me of what my Marine Corps dad taught me pretty early on. You know, he would say, I'm above ground. It's a good day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's a good point. You know, like if I think I have a problem, let's, let's recontextualize what a real problem is, right. you know? Not taking anything away from the issue, right? Because, no, yeah. Because they are important, but they have to be dealt with. And and that's where you really see true examples of leadership. When you have a CEO or a very senior executive who is faced with a challenge, 
Yeah. And the challenge could adversely impact the bottom line of the company or could impact um, our, our customers, our vendors, et cetera. If that person takes a leadership role and says, you know, all right, here's the problem. Let's let's problem solve this and let's get it done um, and let's do it collectively and let's make sure that we we look after our customers and our employees as opposed to, wait a minute, who let this happen? Right. That's really, but, but that's human nature to your it's point totally earlier is, you know, you want to find out who's at fault, but as a senior leader, you're at fault. You own the bill. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you have to make sure that you set the right tone because if you sort of get frantic, that translates to the people you're trying to lead. Yeah. In a big way. Right. So, so you know, Robert Mueller, who was the director of the FBI, uh, assumed his job five days before 9-11. Mm. I, I can <laughs> tell you unequivocally that is not what he signed up for. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. but he rose to the challenge in a way that inspired an organization and, and mm. some might say a country. Um, and reconfiguring what the FBI did and how they did it yeah, because it was important. And he yeah. provided that constant leadership. You know, what I liked about him was he was very apolitical. Um, mm-hmm. he, he worked both sides of the aisle because he was a mission focused leader. Yeah. Um, and, and I have immense respect for him and the way that he addressed that difficult period in our history. Yeah, he was the right guy at the right time, um, who stepped into the breach. You know, we, we talked about Marines. You know, Robert Mueller was a Marine Corps infantry officer in Vietnam. Yes, yes. Um, so he took those leadership skills with him into the organization, and created a new FBI that was able to address the, the threat posed by global terrorism. Yeah, you know, not something that he had expected. You know, when he took the yeah. job. Um, but but a challenge that he rose to in a way that illustrates why leadership is so important during times of crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, th- one of the things that I th- that's circling around in my mind about what we're talking about is one of the sayings that I have is insightful vulnerability. And I, you know, not just vulnerability for vulnerability's sake, but if, if as a leader, you share things vulnerably with a purpose, right? Insightful vulnerability. I think it sets a good tone for people being able to come tell you difficult things like that agent who had not realized she was supposed to be on duty, had been drinking, didn't want to respond that way and felt comfortable telling you, right? I've got to believe that there were things you did before that in ways that you interacted with, with her and others that would probably qualify as insightful vulnerability that would, that would let her know it was safe to come tell you that. And it was much better to come tell you that than not. Well, so, so the FBI is a very um, rank-conscious organization. Right? It, yeah. It's sort of a pseudo-military structure. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, rank is important. So when I took the job in Las Vegas, um, 
we, we had a fugitive task force there that was one of the best in the country. Um, and the, the guy that ran that task force uh, was on my squad. And so I had, uh, I had told him when I first got there, listen, if, if, you, if you're going to be involved in an issue where you think there's a potential for a shooting, you need to let me know so that I can be there. Right. And so, you know, the, the natural inclination was, well, who's this guy? And why does he think that he, he should be there? I mean, I'm the expert in fugitive apprehension. Right. So late one night, I, I get a call where they, the, the, the guy says, I, I think we have a top 10 fugitive cornered at a little nasty motel on the outskirts of Vegas. Uh-huh. And we're going to make it, <laughs> we're going to make entry. Uh-huh. So I said, all right, hold on. I'll, I'll be right there. So I get down to the scene and the whole team's there. They're all kitted up, um, ready to make entry. And so he gets there and he says, well, boss, what do you want to do? I said, why the hell are you asking me? You're the expert. I'm here at the back of the stack in case you shoot somebody. You can say you had a supervisor on scene. This is your show. You're the expert. You own this. I'm here in case something goes horribly wrong, period. I'm not going to try to tell you how to do your job. So that was oh very early God. on in <laughs> my tenure as the, the head mm-hmm. of that, that, that squad. But I think that that sends a tone that says, yes, I'm the boss, but I'm not the expert. Yeah. Right. Uh, there are things that you can do so much better than me. Yeah. I'm here to provide you that safety net in case yeah. it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. But this is your show. Yeah. You lead the show. I'm here in a supporting role in case it goes bad. So I think that well, I'd probably been in role a couple weeks. Um, so, the, you know, you're still in that dance where you're feeling each other yeah. out a little bit to see who's who in the zoo. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I think that set the tone. Yeah. And, and that set the tone. Well, here's a guy who is responsible for the squad, but doesn't want to say that he knows everything because you just can't. Right. You just yeah. don't know. And I think that's where a lot of leaders fail is when they they will not admit that they don't know or, yeah. you know, they, because, you know, let's face it. It's, it's a culture in this world of fake it till you make it. And the problem with that is in that kind of situation, you're putting people's lives at risk yeah. because of your own arrogance or stupidity or insecurity. Yeah. So admit that you don't know something. Embrace those that are more skilled. And then provide the support that they need to be successful. It's 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 not. Well, I mean, and you know. I, I imagine that I could guess, but how did that impact your relationship with that guy from then on? So it's funny because when I first took over the squad, so he he was uh, you know sort of an old time agent, had been around a long time, a lot longer than I had. Um, didn't like the idea of some pencil neck geek from headquarters coming to, to lead his squad because he's been, you know, doing this for a lifetime. So the natural inclination was here, here comes another guy from headquarters who's going to screw everything up on us. Right. Um, and I think that he, he is a great agent. I'm sure he's retired by now, but, um, what he did was he, I gave him the runway that he needed to be successful. Yeah. With without being the guy that second guesses. And so what that did is it created a a good relationship. And I also know that knew at the time that he had a lot of influence on the squad. Right. Because he was a very well-respected agent. 
Um, very, very well thought of in the local law enforcement community as well. I'm not going to come in and try to tell him how to do his job. Right. And I think once that, that pattern was established, that task force thrived and they yeah. did phenomenal work. I mean, yeah. They were profiled on America's Most Wanted, on Unsolved Mysteries. They did a great <laughs> job. Uh-huh. Um, but it was so cool to watch because you watched them just get better and better and better because yeah. they felt, I, I hope anyway, that they had a leader that had their back. Yeah. And that was to me all that really mattered. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, in the FBI, people, when you take up like a squad leadership position, someone will say, well, they'll come in and say, no, this is it. This is my last stop on the train. I just want to stay here. So they asked me when I first got there, I said, no, it's not the last stop on the train. I hope not yep. anyway. Yep. I mean, I, I, I want to have a senior leadership role in the organization, but I want to get it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's taking care of the people that work for you that allow you to be successful. Yeah. Um, it's cause it's, it's not about me. You know, I think I might have told you this last time we met, but I had a boss who said, you know, the minute you think you're a wheel, you're part of the problem. And that is so true because then all of your thinking sort of surrounds how it impacts you personally. Right. Stop thinking like that. Start thinking about mission and organization. Yeah. And what will happen is you will be incredibly successful. Because you're the leader that has empowered a team to develop either a successful product or a successful delivery, whatever you know you do as a, as a company, and and that is becomes almost well known immediately. Yeah, you know I don't want somebody to say, "Well, Tracy's a great manager." I want him to say, "You know, Tracy's a good guy to work with." Um, and and to me, that's really all that matters. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your observations from like the Marine Corps on through about communication. And, um, and, you know, one thing that I, so I think that we are across the world now getting back in person like we did. And it's been a while for many, many of us to get back in person. And I feel like a lot of it, I mean, I would love to know your opinion, feel free to disagree with me, but I, but it seems to me like a lot of the things that I've been talking about for a long time are just even more important now that we've kind of been apart. Things have been really weird getting back together. Everybody's a little nervous about what everybody else is going to think of them again. It's kind of like being back in, you know, high school for a minute because we haven't been with each other. And so things like people's personal stories and making that human connection and uh, taking time out to actually make room for some of that humanity that we've been missing when we're just jumping on hyperproductive Zoom calls all day. I think all that stuff is really important as we start to get together again, more in person. Would you agree? What would you say about that? So I, I do. So, so there's two things that I want to comment on that is that 
so obviously Everbridge is in the business of, of selling software, right? Mm. Um, at, at the end of the day, everything is based on relationships. Yeah. And I had a, a, a friend of mine in the, in the FBI that used to say that it's all about relationships. And at the time, you know, we're, you know, we're the FBI. And, yeah. uh, but he couldn't have been more right. And part of that relationship building is sort of sharing a little bit of your personal story um, with people that you meet, humanizing the process, um, which is sometimes difficult via Zoom be because the nonverbals are, are harder to pick up. Um, it's kind of two-dimensional, so you don't really see that. But so, so I, you talk about we're getting back to travel. I've been traveling like a madman. Um, yeah. And, and while I don't particularly enjoy traveling, I really enjoy meeting people around the world and listening to their stories um, and, and sort of taking the business out of the conversation, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So, so I, will, I will go and meet with folks and we'll sit down and I will always find a nugget. Um, I was talking to a school uh, safety director in, at a private uh, school in Singapore. Um, and while he was talking, I said, you know, you sound like you might have spent some time in the military. And he said, well, yeah, I'm a retired military officer. So talking about his background, his experiences, it, it just humanizes the process. Um, I spent a lot of time not talking about business. Mm -hmm. um, when I, one of the teams that I led here at Everbridge, I, when, whenever we have a meeting, the first thing everybody would have to do was tell me something that they did fun that day. That's right? cool. so, so totally, when, yeah. when I first did that, they were like, yeah, we, we got work to do. Yeah. So we're not going to actually start that until we start to know each other a little bit. Right. Be because it's not, you can't be one dimensional. You know, you can be the best software developer in the world, but if that's all you do and all you know, you're not really a full person. So thinking about, and, and, and I'll tell you that that goes back to my FBI days because you had to have life outside of the bureau. Mm -hmm. If you did not, when you retire, you will not survive because you're cut off completely. Yeah. All your clearances are pulled, all your access is pulled, and you have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. And so if you didn't have anything other than your job, you really struggled. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true in all industries. So what is it that makes you a person as opposed to a leader or a manager? You know, and I'm always asking about people's families and, and, and you know, pets, things yeah. that people are comfortable talking about. Because once they open up, then all of a sudden they remember things the next time that you see them. Um, and it's more of a friendship than it is a business relationship. Yeah. And I think that's so important in the world. You know, going back to travel today is very different than it was two and a half years ago. Mm. Um, those, <laughs> boy, oh boy. Yeah. So, so <laughs> people who, who thought they were road warriors two and a half years ago are re reinventing the way that they travel today. And they have lost some of the soft skills that yeah. are necessary um, to be successful. Because it can't be just about... All right, let's talk about, you know, risk mitigation. I want right. to talk to you about what, what are you doing on the perimeters. No, but you really, yeah. seriously? Wow, what yeah. a great facility. This is awesome. Yeah. 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 
Oh, is that your is that your daughter in the picture? Tell me about her. Right. Yeah. I mean, those sorts of things humanize it. Um, and I like I like dealing with people. I don't like traveling, yeah. but I like the, the the destination when I get there because I get to meet people and hear interesting things about them that are not related to the job. Yeah, which is just so cool. I mean, it all it, it reminds me of my most famous saying, right? It, it, communicating with, working with, leading human beings is not logical. It's biological. And these kinds of human connections and taking that moment at the beginning of the meeting to ask about their family and to maybe share one of your stories that would make them feel more comfortable sharing one of their stories. That's ultimately what gets the job done That's right. at the end of the day. And I just think that, uh, maybe we're not always as aware of that as we, as would be helpful. But I right? think, I think it has to be real too. Oh, absolutely. Right? So, I mean, you can, you can read right through somebody who's, you know, going through their internal checklist of things that they, they're supposed to ask. Right. Totally. Um, and, uh, I was in, I was in Australia a couple of months ago and I was talking to one of the banks, the biggest banks there. And, you know, they were very standoffish, very, you know, arms crossed, you know, that uh -huh. sort of thing. And, and, um, so I, I started, I, I told the, the story when I first got to Walmart and I, was called into the CEO's office and, and uh, I had just come out of the national security branch in the FBI and I obviously didn't take enough time off in between jobs. <laughs> um, and I remember Mike Duke was the CEO at the time and, and he's he, super nice guy. And he said, you know, we're just so glad that you're here. We're happy to hear that you're here, but you know, Tracy, you, you might need to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> and, and my response to him was, Mike, this is dialed back, right? Because I, I, you know, really the wrong way to address that. And so, but I learned from that. And so when I tell that story over in Australia, it sort of breaks the mood a little bit because yeah. it shows that, you know, here's a guy, you know, you read the resume and you're thinking, wow, you know, FBI, Marine Corps, all this other crap. And then you see this little short, bald guy come in and you're thinking, <laughs> well, something's not adding up here. And, and so there, there's a little bit of reservation. So breaking down that wall by, as you explained it earlier, a little bit of vulnerability that is relevant to the issue at, at play. And I think it, it, it humanizes you. Yeah. And authentic. That's which right. I think you were pointing to. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's what happened. You know, it's yeah, just, it's the I truth. remember coming out of Mike's office thinking, <laughs> I, I might have been able to handle that a little bit better. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's how you grow. It's, I right. think you said it before people, people uh, learn from your mistakes or, uh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, Insightful they don't learn from your vulnerability. Success. Right. Yeah. 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 People connect with the people don't connect with your successes. They connect Mess. with your messes. That's your right. message is in your mess. And you know, really that message that's in your mess, that's the thing that you learned that hurt so bad to learn. Right. And if somebody hears your story, they don't have to get hurt that bad to learn it because you that's did, right. That's right. And you were generous enough to share it. So that's why that hits so deep for people. I don't think we always realize why those things impact us so much, but it's because it's genuine, meaningful, high signal 
Right. Right. Like it's the truth. It's a real thing that happened that was very painful to learn. And so getting that without going through the pain is a real gift. No, I, I agree. I mean, I just, um, it, it seems like the, the older I get, the less I actually know, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, you know, especially by the time you're like 60, you're supposed to be this genius. Well, I, I think I'm going the other direction. But, but I, I think that it's just, there's just so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And you can learn so much from so many different people. And you take all of that into consideration and you weigh that out. Um, and, and usually for me, it's, it's after the fact, right? So I'll be, you know, reliving a meeting or a conversation and thinking about what happened and who said what and why. And then you start to really understand the more significant things in it that you may not have addressed in the meeting. You know, when you talked with us at Everbridge, you talked about people don't listen. They're always considering what their response is going to be, which is there again, it's human nature, right? Um, but just sitting down and listening to, and, and I learned, I, I mean, I don't mean to, to butter you up, but I did, I learned a lot from your presentation that you gave to the leadership team in Everbridge. And, and, and I, I, I find that I, I, I benefit from that type of learning, um, because it, it makes me a better communicator. Um, and I think if you can't communicate, you can't succeed. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of the things that, that just, I don't know why it seemed like a realization to me years ago, but like everything that human beings do that actually matters requires communication. And like you just said a few minutes ago, everything is about relationships and relationships are based in communication and Every worthwhile thing that we do as humanity requires more than one of us, which means it's a relationship and it's going to be based on communication. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's why you have two ears and one mouth, right? Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Bingo. (laughs) There's a message right there every time I look in the mirror, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, that's classic. Well, listen, Tracy, is there anything that I, that I didn't ask or is there, are there any, you know, maybe what I, if there's anything I didn't ask that you just want to share, I'd love to hear it. And if, and you know, if there's maybe a leadership story from anywhere along the way, and you know, one more of those great leaders who had an impact on you, maybe you could share it with us. I'm open to anything. We're, well, I know we're getting close to our time, but I, like, like we still have a couple of minutes. So, you know, John, actually, I, I, I'll take that couple of minutes to, to first of all, thank you for the time. I, I mean, it's been a great conversation. Um, it, it's, it's been, um, I think I've gotten more out of this th- than I've given, which is usually the case. So I'm very appreciative of your insights. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things that, um, w- when I was, um, uh, the second in command of one of our field offices in the FBI, um, we had a leader there who was incredibly inspirational to me. Um, he was as big as I am small. Um, he, he was a physically imposing guy. Mm. Um, and, and but, but what I liked about him, and, and this is, 
he would communicate with our entry-level employees the same way that he would communicate with our headquarters people. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would do that in a way that sort of demystified um, the position and humanized it. Yeah. And this is at a time in the organization where that was not an accepted practice. You know, you, you couldn't go and talk to a superior. That was just not the way the organization was wired. But by availing himself to every employee in the division, um, he set the tone that said, it's okay to approach me. Mm. It's okay to ask me questions that I may not be able to answer. And so I took that with me on every time that I was promoted subsequent to that. Um, when I was the assistant director of the intelligence program, um, I used to wander around. I had the entire 11th floor of the Hoover building. That was all of my division. And I used to wander around there and I would hide when you're an assistant director, your little identity badge is gold where everybody else's is not. So everybody knew that you were somebody. Um, so I always kept mine on the inside of my jacket Mm -hmm. and people would, inevitably get lost on the 11th floor because it's Mets an entire city block. Uh-huh. And they'd see me walking and they'd say, hey, I, I need to go through the skiff and find some section chief somewhere. I said, oh, are you new? He said, yeah. I said, inevitably they would say, well, how long have you been here? Oh, you know, a year and a half. Oh, that's great. I said, I know where that is. I'll take you over there. So I would walk with them through the skiff and I knew this person didn't realize that I was the head of the division. Mm-hmm. And I would just listen to the excitement in their voice when they, you know, because they, they've been promoted, they're going to headquarters, this is exciting. They get to their new boss, I, I show them to their boss, and as I'm leaving, the boss would inevitably say, oh, sir, thank you for bringing them over. And then the guy would be like, <laughs> you know, so inevitably, two or three days later, I would see that same person in the hallway, and they were just very sheepish. Oh, Mr. Reinhold, sir, I, I didn't realize you were the assistant director when I asked you for directions. I said, what difference does it make, really, yeah. at the end of the day? Yeah. Right? I mean, we're all in the same boat here. And we, we all need to row together. It's not because I'm the assistant director, you, you shouldn't talk to me. It's one of the reasons that I hid that identity badge so that others wouldn't know. Because I wanted them to be comfortable enough to ask questions. Yeah. And I think that actually paid huge dividends for us as we transitioned the FBI and became more intelligence focused Um, Mm -hmm. because it really did change the way the organization addressed the global problems. And I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, director Mueller gave me that opportunity and that we had a fantastic team to actually complete that mission. That's really, really cool. That's super cool. Well, so, um, I, you know, I just think you gotta, we, we gotta get it on the books for you to come back again sometime. Cause I, uh, I, I know we're pushing up against time. I, I've got a million other things I want to talk about, but I just, I, I think I'll just say thank you for now. And I hope you'll come back and join me again. Um, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and it's just a super pleasure to talk with you. And I think that your experience in organizations, where it's not really a problem unless somebody's actually bleeding, <laughs> you know, I, I think it just, it, it, those experiences and those insights, I think are super, super useful. And I think, 
you know, everything you've shared today. I just hope people maybe listen to this again, put a pin in those things and take the leadership lessons that you've learned and seen along the way and implement them in their organizations. Cause I think you've given us a lot of gold today and I really appreciate you being here, Tracy. Awesome. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Cool. Good. All right. And to those of you listening, thank you. Uh, None of this makes any difference without the generosity of your listening. And I appreciate you joining us. If you've got a moment and you like speak like a leader dot show, if you would hop over to give us a five star review, that would be awesome. And if you know anyone that you think would benefit from hearing these conversations and you would share this with them, that would be deeply appreciated as well. And until next time, Thanks for joining us here on speaklikealeader.show. Thank you for joining the Speak Like a Leader podcast. Go be awesome.